This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So today I'm going to be talking about randomness in biological systems, sometimes playing roles that we might not expect. Now this talk is about stochastic randomness, which another word for that is called stochasticity. Actually, when I, when I received the faculty research lecture award, the previous year's winner had to introduce me. And um, he was a historian. Um, and so there was this word, stochasticity, in my accomplishments. And, and he, he was really hilarious. He, he said he looked it up, and it meant randomness. But anyway, we're, from now on, it's going to be called stochasticity. Um, there's two kinds of stochasticity. It's probably more kinds, but I'm going to be talking about two. Uh, there's extrinsic stochasticity. Okay, and what that is like, you're doing an experiment, for example, and you know that there's some little random perturbations that can happen, maybe even in your measurements for sure. Okay, and so you're going to model those as Gaussian distributed, which is called white noise, okay? Um, and you don't need to know what this, what this really means, it, yeah, but yeah, you're just going to model it simply using a, a certain distribution. And it's often, and how does that come into the ODE or PDE model? Um, you would model it at, via a stochastic ODE or PDE system. That means um, that, the, that the rates in the system, the derivatives, are equal to the right-hand side, and the right-hand side has a term that involves the normal distribution, and it's usually a pretty small term. Okay. Now, and that's usually what we do when, you know, when we don't want to model things that are, you know, somebody came into my lab and opened the door and blah, 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 you know. Um, okay. So in, in intrinsic stochasticity is one, what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of this talk. And that is noise arising due to small populations of key players. Okay? You, you probably know that from, you know, a bunch of, bunch of people get together and then there's these few people who just tend to, like, dominate it all. Um, so uh, in, in cells, it's more... Uh, uh, most of these key players that are in small populations are what's called transcription factors. Now, transcription factors are really important because they're the molecules that run around the nucleus and turn the genes on and off. They're specific transcription factors for specific genes, and we'll get back to that. Okay, so they're really important. Um, they, make, they sometimes are making decisions like life or death. Should the cell kill itself or not? Should it go after some food or not? Um, so it, so it, it's really important. Um, and uh, when I started looking at this, I, it's hard to get my head around it, really. I mean, these cells are just randomly killing themselves. Um, like, <laughs> what's the use of that? You know? But you have to keep in mind that there are huge numbers of cells. Okay? So, and, and they 
uh, are subjected to many different conditions. Okay, the cells in your body, you can get sick. Uh, your temperature could go up. Some of your cells are going to be in a state where that's really, really bad for them. Okay, and other ones who maybe weren't doing the optimal thing before are now doing something, uh, are, are now happy and reproducing. Okay, so uh, if you look at it sort of in terms of these huge numbers of cells, it kind of makes sense. Okay. And we model this, it's not by a differential equation, because differential equation just tells you from the right-hand side, tells you exactly what's going to happen in the next instant. Okay? A Markov process, first of all, it's past forgetting. It has a current state, and then it's going to change to a new state, but randomly. Okay? So, um, let's see. Every... Uh, Every state transition has a probability, okay? So we're mostly going to be modeling proteins and uh, transcription factors and uh, DNA uh, in a cell, okay? So they're gonna, there's going to be a, a state of all of them, okay? And a location, you know? We're going to have to keep track of locations. And don't worry, I, I won't go into the details of this even though I'd like to. Okay, so uh, maybe around 15 years ago, people started uh, thinking a lot about this in terms of in, in molecular biology. But it turns out that ecologists have been aware of the consequences of um, uh, small populations of key players uh, for a very long time because uh, species can go extinct. In fact, I... I worked with an ecologist here, Cherry Briggs, uh, to model this extinction process for, do you know that frogs and amphibians are going extinct around the world? It's very, very sad. Um, and it's due to a fungus called chytrid. So we modeled all, we put all this stuff, you know, we model all the steps uh, in the transmission, you know, the transmission of it and, and, um, uh, uh, it's a stochastic model, and uh, and then we ran we ran our model uh, and together with different ideas that ecologists had for try to stop the extinction. Okay, you know, like cull the frogs uh, or um, uh, clean them, clean the fungus off of them. Of course, you can't clean all of the frogs in a pond because you don't know when you've caught all of them. Um, to see if any of those things could help, okay? And it turned out that in most cases, none of them could. Um, but in any case, so what, who are the key players when, when the when this frogs in the pond are close to extinction? There's only a few frogs left, okay? And the fate of those frogs makes a huge difference. Okay. So in terms of um, molecular biology, um, there was a key, sometimes there's these, these key papers, okay? A, a, a really classic uh, experiment that people are arguing about whether, uh, whether this kind of extrinsic noise really could play a factor or whether the noise that we model by the normal distribution, the white noise, would be enough to explain what's going on inside of a cell. 
and, and, and especially with respect to gene transcription. So Michael Elowitz, uh, who's, who, who was at Caltech at that time, um, did this classic experiment which actually revealed, and I'm not going to tell you about it because I'm already sort of running out of time, um, <laughs> revealed that um, this kind of stochasticity that comes from the randomness of actions of a few key players, uh, once again, transcription factors, um, was playing a big role um, in, in, in cellular biology. And sure enough, uh, it, it revealed that uh, there was a large role of, uh, of this kind of uh, ec extrinsic, uh, no, intrinsic stochasticity. Okay, so another thing that I've been studying is something called coagulopathy. Uh, coagulopathy is a really, really sad and scary thing. It's like you're in a car accident or a motorcycle accident, you get really badly injured. And um, if you're lucky enough to, and you're probably just bleeding out and everything, if you're lucky enough to get to the hospital alive, um, there's uh, still a really large risk that this coagulopathy problem will come in. And that means, what it means is that instead of, you know, when you prick your finger and your, your blood starts coagulating, you know, to make a clot so you stop bleeding, well, when the patient has coagulopathy, the opposite starts to happen. Their blood becomes really, really thin, it stops coagulating, and the surgeons, as you can imagine, have just a a huge problem on their hands to keep the patient alive at that point. Um, so we started, in my research group, studying coagulation. And coagulation is, um, uh, well, this is even a, a simplified view of it, but it's sort of like, you know, you, pr you prick your finger and then it exposes in the lining of your, of your blood vessel, there's a, a molecule called tissue factor. Okay, and that molecule is capable of starting this cascade of chemical reactions that finally leads to coagulation. Um, and this is really only, it's a pretty simplified view, view of that, but even so. Uh, and I think of it sort of like a fire, uh, uh, a forest fire, you know, because we have a lot of experience with that in Santa Barbara. Um, and... Um, it's like, you know, in a forest fire, somebody like drops the match or the campfire wasn't extinguished or whatever, and a, a little event starts a little fire, okay? And then another sequence of events brings it to the massive fire that nobody can control. Same thing with coagulation. The first few steps are somewhat random, okay? Did this, when did this molecule come in, t in contact with the, with the tissue factor? And uh, when did the next chemical reaction happen? Um, and so to the point that if you um, prick your finger, the, and if you did it perfectly the same um, uh, on mul multiple times, you would get different, and then you measured the amount of time before the blood coagulated, you'd get different times, even for the same person. Because the, 
those first few events are, are very uh, random. Okay, now this one is really fun. Um, okay, so this has to do with um, your uh, circadian rhythm. Okay, so circadian rhythm is how your body maintains the 24-hour clock. Okay, so, um, and I like to travel, you know? I, I, like to, I, I like to go to Europe or Asia or Australia or, you know? I like all those places, Africa. Um, and, but, you know, the biggest, baddest part about travel is jet lag. Um, so I, I was really interested in understanding, I was working with a biologist on this, a circadian um, biologist, to understand how, how we resync to a new time. Okay, now biologists have something called a phase response curve, and think of that as the black curve over there, this is really the mean of the, of the phase response distribution, but it actually is pretty close to the phase response curve. Um, and now think of, so this is circadian time. Think of this point over here as the time when you usually wake up, okay? So when we're way out here, we're like deep in sleep, okay? So let's just keep focused on that black line. Okay, what the phase response curve says is if wake-up time is, is just, this is meaningless, it's circadian time, it's just meaningless. Wake-up time I've set to four. Okay, if instead I, wo I woke up for some reason at five, okay, then, it, then this line says, if you go, it gives you the amount of, phase shift that is going to happen on the next, uh, after, on the next day, 24 hours later, okay? So this is going to say, it's going to set my clock, it's going to set my clock back um, by not quite an hour, but it's trying to get me back to when I usually wake up, okay? Same thing if I wake up early. Now it's going to advance my phase so that I wake up here. So it's doing a great job over here, okay? Now let's go to Europe, okay? Four plus, let's say, eight hours, okay? So, um, okay, let's see. Yeah, we're over here. But, uh, okay, so now, now let me talk about randomness here. So, okay, uh, but uh, let's not for a second. Okay, so we're, we're out here somewhere when we get to Europe and we are totally screwed up, okay? <laughs> I mean, if you've done it, you know, it takes a lot of days to get back and sometimes like you can't, you can't help it and you just stay asleep. Um, you go to sleep at the strangest times and you wake up in the middle of the night and it's not happy. Uh, one time I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, couldn't sleep and I started... Uh, Ugh. When my graduate students sometimes write papers, the first few times they're not very easy to read. And um, <laughs> I was trying to, um, yeah, fix this paper, and I think it kept me up even worse than it could, than it could have been. But anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, so maybe a week to, to recover from this transition. But now let's look at the rest of this. 
So these dots are made by a mathematical model, a stochastic model, of circadian rhythm that's been validated. Um, this is all like in a in the mouse, okay? <laughs> that's been validated by um, experimental data and stuff, and the models, the mathematical models in that area are really quite good, okay? And so what we did was, and this incorporates the ex the intrinsic noise. Um, was we just started a bunch of simulations at different points in the fa in the phase response curve. You know, gave them this is like if you give light for I don't know 20 minutes of bright light, like sunlight kind of bright light. Okay, then where's the phase going to be? And as you can see, it's not as beautiful as this black light. It's all over the place. And in fact, look at it over here. I mean, this is. This is amazing. Okay, but here's the proposal, and, and we haven't tried it in any scientific way, but it works mathematically, so there's some hope. Um, I would like to get to Europe or whatever destination at this time when, when my circadian clock is right about here. Okay, because look at all those phases. Okay, it's all over the place, right? Um, and it turns out like that with with the mice, you can um, entrain them to the new time uh, really easily. Now think about that. Why would that be true? Um, uh, you know, my body thinks it's at California time, and instead, you know, I get off the plane, and there's some uh, some light, and it starts sort of noticing that, but if you think of your neurons as a bunch of busybody Pac-Man, kind of Pac Miss Pac-Man, whatever, uh, you guys probably don't know that, right? That was one of my favorite games in the old days. Uh, but anyways, if you, if you think of them as sort of, they see, they get the input, the light input, but they're also asking their friends, what time is it, right? And all the friends are answering the wrong Thing. They're all answering in California time and not in the new time. Okay, so they're not going to move. They're not going to move their clocks very far. Okay. On the other hand, if you hit them at this uh, at this time in, in the in you know in in the um, in the cycle. Okay, in the in the California time cycle, then look at they're they're. Dis their phases are their phase response is totally dispersed, okay. So they're going to desynchronize pretty quickly, okay. And then they are much more open to the signal, okay. So the new signal of the of the of the light that comes in at the destination, okay. So yeah, so stochasticity at work. Ah, this one is fun. Oh, I know they're going to kick me off this stage before I'm ready. Okay, so um, another another thing I work with, I've worked with, is cell polarization in yeast mating. Now, you probably you know about yeast because you break bread with yeast, but like, who knows how many people know that yeast can mate? Okay, <laughs> I counted one. Okay. So we all know that they can bud, but the S cerevisiae can mate too. Um, and what happens is, it's really amazing, it's just like um, other animals, including people, 
They're, they sense a pheromone. There's two genders. They sense a pheromone from the opposite gender yeast. Uh, and they start growing an appendage towards that yeast. These guys are all confused. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and, but at the tip of that appendage is this piece, the polarisome. Um, and it's really magic because it's the center of all chemical action. And what kind of chemical action could there be? Um, from here, these cables, actin cables, I think of them as cellular freeways, uh, that can carry cargo, so here come the big trucks, um, to, uh, to build, bring the building materials to let this appendage grow towards the other, um, the other yeast cell. Um, and it turns out that a stochastic model can easily make this really small punctate, we call it. Okay? Whereas the deterministic model can only capture it like that. Okay, so stochasticity um, and function. Okay, I, I, I don't have time to explain this. So, ah, this is my favorite. Okay, so um, crowding and gene expression. Okay, so gene express. So let's see. Human cells cram almost 78.7 inches of DNA into a nucleus about 0.002 inches wide, okay? A transcription factor needs to find its gene, okay? So, ah, here it comes. Okay, good. This is on YouTube. Okay, so there it is. There's your DNA all packed up. And the poor transcription factor is gonna try to navigate this to find its gene, not an easy task. Here it's breaking it up into the chromosomes, but they really are just all packed in there. Okay, so what's the consequences of that? 32 seconds I have. Okay, this is, <laughs> it has important implications for uh, understanding development, embryonic development, like how does how does the, the, the cell, uh, uh, the, the organism develop? This is a Drosophila, okay? And, the, and this, these colors are different genes being expressed, okay? So already it's decided what those, the fate of those genes are going are gonna to be, okay? And another really interesting, and this is all very, very new, especially this part, um, this, this thing about the big mess of DNA in your, um, in your nucleus, uh, in your cell's nucleus, is, turns out to be really important for, or it looks like it's going to be important for prevention and treatment of cancer. Okay, so it turns out, it would appear, that um, in cancerous cells, the DNA is the structure of it, the internal structure, the physical structure is kind of messed up, okay? And in non-cancerous cells, they're all, all, all the, the nucleus is just very neatly packed, okay? So everybody has its place, okay? Every gene has its place and every transcription factor. Um, that's not true in cancerous cells, and in fact, um, the, the thinking goes that um, the, 
why do why do some cancer treatments work and then the then the cancer mutates? Okay, um, that this has something to do with this disordered structure in the cell. So there are drugs that can have already that have already been found or are used for other purposes um, that can um, make make the structure um, much more neat and compact. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you what I do. I make, I, uh, one of the things I do, I do all those things. Okay. But one of the things I like to do as a computer scientist is to develop infrastructure for science. And as a computer science, uh, and for me, that means solving um, mathematical problems, doing big simulations on the computer. I have this big package called Stokes and it runs in the cloud and uh, as you can imagine simulating every event in in some biological system is a lot of computation and so uh, yeah so biologists use that okay and finally I'd like to thank uh, there have been so many collaborators this is only a small uh, subset of them Dan Gillespie, who was the person who uh, introduced me to uh, intrinsic stochasticity and all of its wonders, um, and uh, many help from the federal government in terms of funding. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.